0: Listen to the deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet.
1: With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up,
0: floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it! They're not gonna catch him! He's gonna go the distance! Touchdown! Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson! 92 yards!
2: And pick up And will take it in! to the middle of that line and it's a
0: touchdown
2: big return for crowder 85 yards
0: Pass there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on prescott it was adams who came blitzing in he'll
1: hit immediately he got the handoff you know that's <laughs> the q oh my gosh listen thank you
3: From the TOJ Digital Studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it's part two of the weekend mailbag. So that means we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com. And of course, above all that, A very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly, so let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Gary Weber. He says, do the Jets have a second-round pick? Some mock drafts say yes, some say no. Joe Douglas said the team has eight picks in his year-end presser. What is the deal? So I've been looking into this, Chris, and you might have more insight, but as far as I can tell, they have seven picks and might have eight because The seventh rounder that they traded away to the Ravens for Alex Lewis was conditional, but nobody knows exactly what the conditions were. So as soon as they come out, that's when we'll know for sure. I have to imagine, though, with him making the roster and starting a significant number of games... That the conditions had to have been met. So I'm going to assume that that seventh round pick goes to the Ravens. But you have one first round pick for the Jets, a second rounder, two thirds. Remember, they got one from the Giants in exchange for Leonard Williams, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth because they got it for Darren Lee. They took their own sixth and traded it to the Colts for Nate Hairston. And then that seventh is what's up in the air. But I think that they're probably going to end up giving that to the Ravens. So it looks like probably seven picks.
2: Yeah, I I don't know the exact specific details on uh, that uh, Alex Lewis stuff. And to be honest, it's not something that I've uh, really looked at lately. Um, but I completely agree with your assessment there. For a seventh round conditional draft pick, I have a hard time imagining that he didn't meet the conditions to give up that seventh rounder. But we're talking about a seventh-round draft pick there. That that person isn't going to make or break the Jet season next year. So you're all right with losing that one. They absolutely have a second-round pick. Um, it's a little later in the second round. I uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this. I I just think that um, this is just the assumption that I've made. But it's probably because they tied with a bunch of people uh, for records, and then sometimes they flip those. In later rounds Um, So that They're they're picking later than 11th in the second round I forget where it is It's a little bit closer to the back end of it Uh, But they absolutely have that second round pick So They have four four picks in the first three rounds They have the first obviously A little bit later in the second And then they have the Giants pick uh, In the third um, And then their own pick in the third
3: That pick in the second round is number 48 By the way Yeah, there you go Next question comes in from Michael Parsons He says, knowing how both Kansas City and the 49ers built their teams Has it changed or reinforced anything on how you feel the Jets should build the team Possibly investing four first-rounders on the D-line Also, did you enjoy the Super Bowl And what are your top three games that you've watched live? Ooh, that's an interesting question So let's start with the first part of this I think that the 49ers model Is the model that if you're a team Trying to copy, that's what you want to do Because I think the Chiefs model Is very difficult to copy Because it requires you to have a top 5 quarterback And I'm not saying that Sam Darnold can't be that guy I think he can, but I'm also Going to tell you that I'm in no way Sure that he's going to be that guy And right now he's much more likely to be Around Jimmy G level, which is say Number 12 to 15 Than he is to be Pat Mahomes level which is in the top three in the NFL. So if you look at what the 49ers did, the formula is dominate the line of scrimmage on offense and disrupt the opposing quarterback and nullify him on the other end, mostly by providing constant pressure from the inside and the outside. I think if you can build a team like that, that's really where you want to go. And the offensive key for the 49ers was that offensive line. Like I said, dominating the line of scrimmage. And you saw, they gave Jimmy Garoppolo plenty of time to throw, And they were opening up holes for the running game. So I think if the Jets can build a dominant offensive line and a dominant front seven, that's really what you want to do. And I think it'll help Darnold a lot, too, because you can get solid targets. If you look at what the 49ers had, Kittle was easily their best offensive player. And I'm not saying that Christopher Herndon's going to be anywhere near as good as Kittle. But if he can be a top 10 to 12 tight end, he could be somewhere in the range of really good weapon for him Maybe borderline Pro Bowl-ish. And then you get yourself some solid receivers like, say, Jamison Crowder. And then maybe you can get yourself some guys in the draft and Robbie Anderson. I think that's fine if you have a dominant offensive line along the lines of what the 49ers built. And then the pressure. You already have the beginnings of a really strong interior defensive line. And I think, knock on wood, that Quentin Williams is going to really break out in his second year. If you can add those edge presences on the outside to go with it, the way that the 49ers had Buckner and Armstead on the inside and then Bosa and Ford on the outside, I think that's the formula. So I think that if you could build a team along the lines of what the 49ers did, the Jets could be very successful. I don't think they're a ton of pieces away from doing that on defense. I think maybe an edge rusher or two. On offense, it's really that they've got to completely rebuild the offensive line. The receivers need work too, certainly, but the offensive line is the key to all of that. As far as whether or not I like the Super Bowl, I did. I didn't think it was an all-time great, super memorable game. I thought it was a solid football game. There weren't a lot of great moments that we're going to look back at. In fact, I bet you that 10 years from now, the bulk of the talk about it is going to be the halftime show, more so than anything that actually happened in the game, but... I thought it was a solid football game. And top three games that I've watched live. I'm going to give you a couple off the top of my head that I really enjoyed. And I'm going to make this non-Jets games because it's not fair to include games that are Jets games because they obviously have special meaning to me and anybody else who's a Jets fan. So number one, Texas Longhorns, USC Trojans, National Championship game. That was maybe the best football game I've ever seen. Just incredible top to bottom And all the way down to the ending, which was phenomenal. Vince Young played maybe the best football game I've ever seen anybody play. 467 yards of total offense. Just incredible against that USC team that was a juggernaut. You had the drama of them going for it on the fourth and two and Texas stopping them and then Texas driving all the way down to get the touchdown at the very end. Just tremendous football. Another one that sticks out to me that I love, there was a Monday night game, and I can't remember if it was 93 or 94, but it was the Chiefs and the Broncos, and it was the last head-to-head matchup between Joe Montana and John Elway. And John Elway led a two-minute drive to take the lead for the Broncos, and then Joe Montana got the ball and went right back the other way, and the Chiefs ended up winning the game with under 10 seconds to go, that was awesome because to me that was two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and two of the great comeback quarterbacks of all time punching each other in the face nonstop for four quarters until finally Joe Montana got the better of it. And as far as the third best game, man, it's a tough one, but I'll tell you, I guess... The Buffalo Bills comeback against the Houston Oilers in the playoffs when they were down 34-3 to or 35-3, to I can't remember which one it was. That was just a remarkable comeback to watch, and obviously I'm not a Bills fan, but just seeing how that unfolded, to me, was great drama. Because you thought there was no way that there was ever going to be a chance that the Bills could win that game, but it was something remarkable to watch and we haven't seen anything quite like it with the exception of that Patriots game and I can't give that Patriots game the nod over the Bills and the Oilers simply because my irrational hatred of the Patriots overrides everything Chris what do you think first let's start with your thoughts on how the Jets should build the team do you think that Kansas City and the 49ers provided any kind of blueprint
2: I mean I I won't go as far to say either of them uh provided much of a blueprint just because i think the those the two blueprints have been provided beforehand um we've seen it before we you know we've seen it with uh the giants uh two most recent super bowls the the defensive line pressure we've seen it with the eagles and what they did we we know the offensive line uh and then Having uh, weapons everywhere, we we know those situations. So as much of a blueprint, um, and I my thing again for for this year for the Jets is different than just my long term out out view for there. I just think this is such a make or break season for Darnold and his career with the Jets that it has to be all about Darnold here uh, next year. It does it's would be unrealistic to think you're building a Super Bowl team for just next year. So I think the only and the main priority and really the only priority is making sure you do everything to maximize what you can get out of Darnold. And then in the future you can look to add more pieces to this defense. I obviously you want the pressure there, but you also want an offense. And defense is also something that struggles teams struggle to be consistently good on defense year to year. It's something that doesn't repeat as much. Now uh, obviously you have a little bit of that same type of thing with offensive line too. So it works both ways, but I you need you do with unless you have a Patrick Mahomes, in order to win the Super Bowl, you need to have a little bit of both. And even the Chiefs had a little bit of both because a, they fixed their run defense. I, I, I thought they were going to win this game, and I was very happy with the Super Bowl, too, because, I, I, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is pretty much the love of my life at this point. Um, I, I, I love him, and I am always rooting for him. Um, but they stopped the 49ers' run game way better than I expected them to, and they had a good pass rush as well. So it is a blend. And you do need uh, both of those things. I just think for this season, the priority has to be about everything, put, getting all your resources to helping Darnold. As far as the, um, the top three games, I was an Oilers fan growing up. Uh, when I first started really paying attention to football, I lived right outside of Houston. The first football game I ever went to was a, a Oilers game in, in the Astrodome. And I vividly remember I had just moved to New Jersey. Uh, I, I vividly remember that game. And I don't know if I've ever felt a more cr- crushed watching a football game ever in my life. And then uh, then they went and moved to Tennessee. And I was remember I was sitting there debating if I should get a new team or what I was going to do. And then they traded Warren Moon. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not rooting for this team anymore. So, uh, yeah, so for making me remember that moment. Yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly happy with you about that, Scott. Thank you very much. <laughs> um as far as the top 3 games, I'm going to exclude college games cuz that's going to make it more difficult cuz that US USC Texas game was right up there at the top. I could also throw in the uh, Alabama Clemson National Championship game Watson's uh last year. That game was absolutely incredible. Um I'm gonna go with the Cardinal Arizona Cardinals and Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl, uh, where they had that James Harrison uh, interception return the end of the first half and the San Antonio Holmes touchdown at the end. I'm gonna go with that as one of them. I, I you know, I was just reminded of this game last night because watching the Michael Vick documentary, but watching that first half of Michael Vick against Washington there. That was one of the most incredible games I've ever seen, and just it's really a singular performance. But man, it was such an incredible singular performance. Um, and I'm not uh, if I'm excluding Jets performances. If I if I'm including them, then I would go with them beating the Patriots and the playoffs there, obviously. Um, but otherwise, I'd probably go with uh, the Rams Titans Super Bowl to to see it come down to the end and him just be a half a yard short um yeah that that was a great game those are probably going to be my votes right there
3: next question comes in from Joe Hornig he says who are some edge rushers the jets can target in free agency who are not big names Maybe Vic Beasley, Bud Dupree, Matthew Judon. The problem is, I don't know that I would say that those guys aren't big names. Everybody who follows football mostly knows that. Maybe not Judon as much. That could be somebody that would be interesting if he shakes free. The only problem with him is he flashed late and he's 29 years old. So he's a good player, but you wonder about paying a guy like that. I wonder if Bud Dupree shakes free. He'd be interesting. I'm not much of a believer in Vic Beasley. I think he's a very... Blah player If you bring him in here I'm not so sure that he's an upgrade over Jordan Jenkins Honestly, I think you could make a case Jenkins is better than him anyway Jenkins is definitely a better player As far as straight pass rushing You could try and make a case for Beasley, I suppose But if you look at the other guys that could be available Obviously, they're bigger names Yannick Ngakwe is somebody we've talked about Dante Fowler Jr. So this will be an interesting class to look at We'll see who shakes free Judon is probably the guy that's the least quote unquote big name that could be available. So maybe he's somebody they go after. But honestly, I think he's going to get a lot of money because, as we've seen, anybody that shows even the slightest bit of pass rush ability gets paid in free agency.
2: Yeah, he's going to get a good amount of money. He's going to get paid, but he is more than likely to shake free. I I don't, I don't, I'd be surprised if Baltimore uh, retains him. Uh, that's just how Baltimore operates. Uh, they're pro- they're not gonna pony up the money for him. But he is somebody I would definitely go after depending on the price tag. Yeah, I guess it's a semantics thing talking about the big name because you could argue Beasley's a big name just because of where he was drafted. and uh, you know, there was talk about the Jets drafting him uh, when instead of Leo. So I, you could do that. but I, at this point, I'd say that he's probably not a big name. Uh, but, uh, again, that's a semantics argument. Um, Jordan Jenkins is definitely an all-around better player. Um, uh, Vic Beasley definitely has more natural, raw uh, you know, just pure pass rushing ability. But he had that one really good year in Atlanta and then just completely disappeared. I wouldn't be against, uh, you know, giving him, you know, a one-year or two-year uh, small contract because I do not think he's going to command big money. But he, he, there's a good chance that he'll command more than I would be willing to take a chance on just because of how desperate uh, so many teams are for edge rushers. <laughs> but I wouldn't be against giving him a small deal to bring him in, especially if you can pair him with somebody else, whether it's a rookie or, you know, again, Ngakwe would be a no-brainer if he shakes free, even though he would cost a ton. He He is worth it. And, and I, I have no problem with spending free agent money on defense. Um, I, it's one of those things where people – you can do both. You can address the offensive line and uh, the offense and free agency, and you can also go ahead and uh, make some moves on defense there. I just – those, those uh, top of the draft, that's where I want to focus uh, my offense. To That way you, you can miss on a guy and you still have two or three other guys there um but yeah i i would say judon is the the most likely uh non big name that they could go after but he he's not going to be cheap he he's going to be i think he'll be really good i know i i agree with you about the age thing and giving that guy a contract then but i depending on how big of a contract we're talking about obviously um I would be all for that. I think he's I think he's the most realistic option out of any type of edge that you could look for there.
3: By the way, one last thought on Vic Beasley. He's not as good as Leonard Williams, not by a long shot. So for everybody that wants to poke Leonard Williams and say that the Jets got him and he was a big bust or whatever you want to say, much better player than Vic Beasley. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and ask people around the league. Trust me, that's the answer you're going to get.
2: It's not even close, to be honest with you. I, I, I understand how much of a disappointment Leo was. But again, I, I'm going to point this out. It's just because of the way Leo started. And you, we just assumed his trajectory was just going to keep going, skyrocketing. And it kind of plateaued. But he has so much more value than people realize. Even why I acknowledge it's not enough for, for the Jets to have kept him. And I understand the frustrations with him but believe both of us here that you guys would be far more frustrated with Vic Beasley if they drafted Vic Beasley.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price Priceline.
0: line i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
1: Plus. 18
3: plus. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Abstract Analyst. He says, given the schedule for next year, what is the over-under on how many excuses Adam Gase is going to use each week and how many games before he's throwing Donald under the bus? (laughs) I think if things are going poorly, you may not necessarily see him throw Donald under the bus publicly, but you'll hear some stuff behind the scenes, certainly. As far as the amount of excuses, oh, boy. There's going to be two or three of them each week when they lose, and a lot of them is going to involve how players weren't executing what he drew out for them properly.
2: Yeah, this is tough, but that... And to be fair to Gase, that is something that a lot of coaches do anyway, the whole uh, it's about execution thing. And a lot of times they are correct about that, but Gase leans on that a little bit more and last year I don't think that was the problem as much. Obviously, definitely... The offensive line was uh, part of a problem with that, but I also think he did a lot of things that did not help the situation. Yeah, I I agree with you that you're probably not going to hear much out of him publicly throwing Darnold under the bus, but we know that he has kind of gotten there behind the scenes with Darnold uh, already, and if it it, it continues um, with – underwhelming play. Let's, let's say that underwhelming play for whatever the reason, I think you will hear that get louder and louder and louder. Uh, but yeah, on a week to week basis, three, three is a good number to, to set it at. And I think more, more often than not, he will probably hit the over there.
3: All I'll add is, You saw toward the end of last season that there were certain people who were writing columns about how Sam Darnold's going to have to prove that he's the guy, talking about how he's going to have to show that he can operate within Gase's system. So you take that... And you factor in Gase's reputation, you know where that stuff was coming from, and you know where it's going if Sam Darnold doesn't play lights out in 2020. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott and the very big deal Chris Nimbley, your thoughts on the Jets pursuing Jack Conklin as their number one target in free agency to play tackle? He'll be 26 and coming off a strong season, creates flexibility for them in round one of the draft and great tackles are harder to come by than interior linemen. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially if Yannick Ngakwe gets franchise tag, which seems like we're heading that direction from what I'm reading. So if that happens, absolutely. Conklin makes the most sense as the number one target. And if not number one, certainly near the top. I'm all for it. Works for me. I have nothing else to say other than I think that it would be a smart move, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the move that Joe Douglas tries to make
2: yeah i I completely agree i think that has to be uh, the guy at the top of joe douglas's wish list right now um as a little addendum to what i was saying earlier about how they need to get two offensive linemen in free agency and and then try for two in the draft i think you i in an ideal world you want to get uh you know, a tackle and free agency and an inside guy and in free agency, and then do the same in the draft, get another tackle there, another inside guy as well. Um, you know, and there's a possibility they could roll with a, a Doga there, there's lots of little things they could do, but I think the goal and ideal scenario here is you get a tackle in, uh, like Conklin and free agency. You, you get a, you know, a Thuni or, uh, or somebody as a guard inside, and then you do the same thing with the draft. You take a a, ta- a tackle there, and then an inside guy there, and yeah, I, I think Conklin is definitely at the top of Joe Douglas's wish list.
3: Next question comes in from Michael Pallison. It's the first of a series of questions. He says, "Was Woody hands off while in the UK or would he have known what was going on with this Rick Dennison story that was reported by Manish?" So, if you haven't seen the story Manish had it in the Daily News, there's some sort of action going on with Dennison where he's suing the Jets for back pay. There's a whole complicated web there. I'm not entirely sure who is going to come out on top there. I have no idea if Woody Johnson knew what was going on. Chris, you have any inkling as to that?
2: I do not. I don't know how much Woody is involved um and how much he is hands off there. I you know, I know that what they say, I know what they put out there. I also know Uh, enough about Woody Johnson and his personality and how he he runs things that it's really hard for him to not be involved. So I know what they say I don't really buy. I don't really believe. But in this one instance, I don't think it matters. And what I mean by that is whether he was involved or he, he was completely not involved, And my my guess here is he probably wasn't involved in this just because I don't think he's so involved that he's getting bogged down in the details of the signing of an offensive line coach while he's over there. I just don't think that's the the case. I'd be shocked, in in fact, if that was the case. But I don't think it matters because I think Christopher Johnson is just doing – following the template that Woody Johnson has set up. This is the Jets have a reputation for this type of thing. This is a reputation that started with Woody Johnson here. And I think that Chris Johnson is just following the script that Woody Johnson went there with. Um, and this, this isn't an Adam Gase problem. This isn't a Joe Douglas problem. This is a, a ownership and a higher, higher level than, than those guys problem. This is just the way they do business. And uh, I, I I don't think specifically Woody Johnson had anything to do with with this. I do think it's exactly what he would have done if he was here. And Christopher Johnson is just doing the same.
3: By the way, I should note that I texted Manish about this since it was his story. And he said that Woody Johnson's knowledge is loose, if at all. So in other words, he's saying that maybe Woody was brought up to speed later on, but he may not even really know about it. So there's your answer in terms of Woody's involvement in the whole situation. That's going to wrap things up for part two of the mailbag. Don't forget to follow Chris on Twitter, at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And if you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review yet on iTunes, really appreciate it if you could do that for us. It's an easy way to help out the show. doesn't take you much time. doesn't cost you any money. But it goes a long way in helping this show. So if you could do that for us, we'd be grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com. It's
1: time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.